0: because jumping off my Chinese heart
1: Welcome to Yarns at Yenhu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 193, Make hay while the sun shines. Tuesday, March 27th, 2018. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yenhu podcast has a Facebook page and it's available on iTunes. For each episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments, the back porch, the front porch, and ever-expanding skill set. I've been reading Alex Langland's book on craft. It sounds like some of you are joining me. It's great to be in company with you. I heard about folks ordering the book and asking for it from the local library, so it's good to be reading along with you. The second chapter is about making hay, and Langland's use a proverb and explains the meaning behind the proverb, make hay while the sun shines. I was reminded that it's the title of the first chapter in Laura Ingalls Wilder's A Long, Hard Winter, which I remember vividly. I remember many scenes from that book vividly. And I remember seeing that first chapter title and the illustration that went along with Make Hay While the Sun Shines. And there are other proverbs as well. Uh, Strike while the iron is hot that sort of thing, having to do with making. And that's what's going on this afternoon. I didn't manage to record an episode this weekend. I think I was suffering from uh, EYF malaise. (laughs) I I was envious of all of the folks who had been to the Yarn Festival and hearing and seeing the photos and then on sunday evening i was real i really regretted that i hadn't recorded an episode so i swung by the studio on a tuesday afternoon no one is on the third floor i have about 90 minutes left on my laptop in terms of power and no power cord so we're just going to see what we can we're going to make hay while the sun shines and we're going to see what we can Get out of this little kernel of an afternoon. Before I get into the regular segments, I'd like to welcome a few people who have introduced themselves on the welcome thread. Welcome to Liam's mommy, Sylvia from Middleton, Wisconsin, who listens to audio podcasts on business travel. I'm so glad that you take me with you. Thank you, Sylvia, and thank you for saying hello. And also we heard from Annette from Asheville, North Carolina, who is Read or Knit on Ravelry. And Annette wonders how I came to live in a Chinese tea house. She thought that was very intriguing. So thank you for saying hello, Annette. I came to a Chinese tea house through my partner, Samuel, who had rented this very unusual house that wasn't built as a home. It was built as a tea room and gift shop. He had rented it many years before we met. And just about the time that we were becoming romantically involved, the owner of that property said that she was interested in selling. And so we bought the place together, and together we have been slowly renovating and restoring the place It was converted very poorly, very sloppily into a single-family home in the 70s. You know, pink toilet and bathtub, that kind of thing. And it has many, many, many interesting feng shui aspects to it that make renovating a very slow, considered process. It's not possible to just change one thing and fix it up real quick. Everything has to be considered as a whole. It's a very small place to live, and it forces us to be very thoughtful about our consumerism, which is a blessing. And it's easy to clean because it's so small which is also very fortunate. So, of course, we'd love to do many, many, many things to improve it, but it's going slowly, and we're just trying to be patient with that process. It was built in 1922 when things Chinese were all the rage. The Back Porch I've completed a fingerless mitts project for the New Hampshire Knits Mitten Knit Along, a really, really popular knit along. My idea was to take some of the yarn left over from my Bressy Dress project from Rhinebeck and create a pair of mitts using the Mushroom Kelly Muff design from Spilly Jane, and this pattern appears in the Fair Isle Style book by Mary Jane Mucklestone, which I have mentioned many times on this podcast, but I still find the bressy dress and those Mushroom Kelly muffs endlessly inspirational um, and a great place to start playing with pattern and design. And so taking into account that I was using sport weight instead of fingering weight yarn, I altered the mushroom design um, and also figured out how row gauge would change the pattern and knit myself a pair of fingerless mitts with quite long um, cuffs. So they're wonderfully warm and soft and on my hands I can see all of the beautiful dye work that I did on that Eloise Shetland fleece, and also the beautiful yarn from Battenkill Fiber Mill. So I'm very pleased to have completed that project, and I will continue to look for additional projects, maybe a hat, maybe a cowl, with that mushroom design and using more of that yarn. I still have quite a bit of all of those dyed colors as well as the Shetland uh, Millspun remaining on the front porch is Tegna, a beautiful hand knit top designed by Caitlin Hunter. You've seen this on many podcasts. It's a very popular kind of oversized T design. And I decided to knit it with Taconic Twist yarn. It's beautifully hand-dyed in logwood by Tammy of Wing and a Prayer Farm. This was a very special purchase I made at the New Hampshire Sheep and Wool Festival this past May. I purchased three skeins. I should have purchased four skeins. Live and learn. And I wasn't quite sure if that would be enough for this top, but fearlessly I began the pattern is knit for made for fingering weight yarn and I decided to use this sport weight yarn so I used U.S. size three needles but I decided to knit the smallest size when I completed the lace it's about 47 rounds of lace I omitted a few rounds because rogue age. Um, I decided that I would probably have enough yarn to finish the sweater because I still was using yarn from the first of three balls. And then I decided I would just steam block a little bit to open up the lace and see what it looked like. And then I ended up steam blocking almost everything that I had knit and it's absolutely gorgeous. I love the way it's working up in this yarn from Wing in a Prayer Farm. It's a wool mohair blend. It's a two ply and so it looks kind of stringy and awful when you're knitting with it and it's crocking logwood all over the place. My hands are purple after I've knit for a few minutes. Nevertheless, when the steam plumps up that yarn and it fills in the spaces of the lace a little bit, it's absolutely gorgeous, and I think my row gauge is just big enough that the sweater will grow quite quickly, and I'll be able to eke it out of these three balls of yarn that I have. Um, I followed the pattern except for omitting a few rounds. I definitely had a lot of trouble doing knit four togethers. And then I saw someone else had used a crochet hook to do them, which sounds like a very good idea. But of course, by that time, I had already finished the lace rounds. Even though those knit four togethers were challenging, and 47 rounds of lace is a lot of lace... I did not have any trouble following the repeats, there was something very intuitive and rhythmic about the lace pattern for this top. I didn't make any mistakes and I I just felt very confident and very sure. I did take the step of putting a stitch marker after every single lace repeat. In the smallest size there are 14 repeats. and that was definitely helpful in making sure that I didn't proceed to a new round if there were mistakes in the stitch count. But I really, there are very few times where I, you know, missed something and I kind of noticed it right away. Very intuitive. After I steam blocked the lace portion of this top, I... Measured it against another top in a similar fashion, this Duchenne sweater that I made out of cotton comfort earlier um, this fall. And the dimensions are about the same. So I think the shape and the drape and the style is going to be very much the same. And since I've been wearing the Duchenne sweater so often, I predict that I will be able to get a lot of use out of this garment. So I'm pleased that I decided to undertake it and take the chance of using the Wing in a Prayer farm yarn. And I'm having a lot of fun knitting this Tegna. It's kind of like a lace t-shirt design by Caitlin Hunter. ever-expanding skill set. I've been continuing with making water kefir. About the way it works out, I make about three batches every two weeks. Because my home is rather cool in winter time, I let the water fermentation go a little more than called for in some of the recipes. And as the temperature warms, I think that will speed up. Also, I think in the warmer weather, I might be drinking more of the water kefir, but I try to drink at least one serving a day, and making three batches every two weeks seems to be a nice pace for me. So far, my favorite flavoring for the water kefir is fresh raspberries and ginger, and Using fruit in the second fermentation really ups the effervescence of the water kefir, and I, I love that. I also love just plain ginger and also vanilla, which makes kind of like a vanilla cream flavor. Sort of like not, a not-very-sweet soda, and I've been enjoying that all, all times of the day, but also drinking it with dinner. But I thought I needed a new challenge, and so I selected two recipes from Sandor Katz Wild Fermentation. One is not a fermented recipe. It's a recipe for sweet potato and ground nut stew. And I interpreted ground nut as peanut and made a really wonderful sweet and savory stew with sweet potatoes And some wonderful warm spice flavorings like Hungarian paprika and cumin, a little nutmeg and clove. It was really delicious. And then I undertook injera, which is an Ethiopian style sponge bread that's made with a fermented dough it's really kind of a fermented batter of teff flour teff is t e f f it's an ancient grain it's the world's smallest grain gluten free relatively new to the american palate uh, but growing exponentially in popularity as people are searching for whole grains and also low or no gluten products I have never cooked with teff flour and I haven't done a lot of fermentation, sourdough, anything like that. So I made a very watery, very thin kind of batter with all teff flour. I did not combine teff flour and whole wheat flour. And I let it sit for 48 hours, at least 48 hours, in a relatively warm place. And then the directions call for you to spoon the batter into a very hot skillet. And just like when a pancake starts to form those bubbles or eyes, uh, when that starts to happen with the injera, you're supposed to put a lid on the pan so that the rest of this crepe steams itself and the result should be a very big spongy type of pancake that's used in Ethiopian sort of throughout Ethiopian cuisine and it's used to pick up other foods and transport them to your mouth so it's used kind of in the place of a utensil It's served in nearly every meal in all types of situations with all different kinds of flavors. And it's like a foundational Ethiopian food. My first pour and the first crepe or pancake came out okay and then it went steadily downhill from there until I was scraping them out of my cast iron skillet Uh, they were too thick. They were too dry. They didn't have a spongy steamed quality. It was kind of a disaster. But I cut the first one was large and it was okay, so I cut it into quite a few pieces. And we Samuel and I used it to dip, you know, as much stew as we could, and eat it that way until we ran out of injera, and then we were just using spoons to eat the rest of our stew. I really liked the flavor of the teff flour. It's reminiscent to me of buckwheat. And because the batter had fermented over a period of 48 hours, it did also have kind of a sour flavor that I found very pleasing. And it made sense to me as a foundational flavor for other kinds of foods, like a delivery mechanism but I'd really like to improve my technique for cooking this bread. And so I think I will enlist the help of my sister, Jessica, who's coming for a visit this weekend and who has experience doing all kinds of baking and cooking, especially things with ethnic flair. She loves to research Food waste from around the world, and then recreate them in her kitchen, and over time, really practice techniques that you know make those recipes really come alive. So, my plan is to ferment another batch of batter, and this time, maybe go for a half or a quarter. Whole wheat flour and not just 100% tough flour to see if that makes a difference. And then to get some tips and techniques from her in terms of temperature. I wasn't sure how much oil in the pan. I wasn't sure exactly when to cover the pan to steam. I'm used to flipping everything. And in this case, you do not flip to cook on the other side. So one side, is seared on the bottom of the pan and the other side is sort of this spongy texture with all these holes in it. I have a long way to go, I have a feeling, but hopefully this weekend I can learn some techniques and get a little bit better. Thanks for joining me today. It felt really good to sit down and share my latest adventures in making with you. I hope you have a wonderful week and enjoy your projects until I send another episode out to you again. Bye-bye.
0: Acorns jumping off my Chinese house Two ducks in my spyglass Furry as a mouse It's a sweet, sweet nature, nature A sweet nature thing It's a sweet, sweet nature, nature A sweet nature thing It's a mighty fire Mighty fire, mighty fire, a mighty fine nature play They say mighty fine mighty fine nature play Leaves lay down like a lady Waiting for a naked man River bends like an elbow Turning stone to sand It's a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a mighty a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty a mighty nature thing. is it a- Gonna get you high, you better tell your face a smile. Jump in the river naked, and I get country mine. It's a sweet nature, nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a sweet nature, nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a Hey.